This is Talking Asset Management with KPMG. In today's episode, we discuss the life cycle of distressed debt from the perspective of a credit fund. Well, hello everyone. This is Pat Brooks, and we really appreciate you all joining us again for Talking Asset Management with KPMG. The last five or six of these, we really focused on uh, credit and credit funds and credit structures and credit issues. Uh, we've done the YA Global uh, podcast and BDC podcast. In talking with our clients and really given the current economic environment, we actually thought today's podcast would be really relevant, talking about distressed debt. And joining me today to dive in this a little bit more are two of my partners, uh, Scott Woods, who also has led a number of these podcasts, and Pete Ritter, who is a Washington National Tax Partner who focuses on financial instruments and products. So, guys, I, I think we should just dive right into it. And, Scott, I'm going to put you on the hot seat first. So what's going on out there? What are you seeing? What are you hearing from your clients regarding distressed? All right. No, thanks, Pat. Um, it's, uh, it's good to be here and talk about this because it's definitely timely. Um, obviously, with everything that's going on in the world, um, between you know the, the the disruption that's caused by the the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, inflation here, um, and, the, and the potential recession and the timing of that, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, um, interest around the the distressed debt um, space. Obviously, credit as a whole, you know, we've seen just huge growth in that overall fund practice, um, and you know we continue to see that, and, and distressed is, is is right along in that. Uh, but but just seeing the things that are going on in in, in the world, you know, we're definitely um, seeing the, the 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 volume of distressed um, um, start start to pick up an interest in in, in creating funds um, uh, around that that uh, space is, is definitely increasing. Yeah, we're seeing quite a bit of that. I don't know, Pete. Are you what are you seeing uh, from a Washington perspective? Yeah, same same. Seeing increased uh, activity here, and you know, uh, a common scenario we'll see is a an investment fund client that. Um, maybe acquires the distressed debt at a, at a discount uh, from face or par in a, in a secondary market transaction. It might then, you know, restructure or work out that debt to get it current or, um, and then try to maximize or realize value as hopefully the economy uh, might recover, uh, you know, through a sale or uh, maybe just holding that debt to, to maturity. And certainly a foreclosure is a possibility too, uh, if needed. And, uh, the other scenario I'm seeing is is simply new lending. You know, um, you know we have borrowers that are desperately uh, in need of cash or liquidity. They're, you know, uh, they need need funds now. So we're seeing other clients that are making loans. Um, you know, albeit it, it's expensive money, um, but new loans and certainly the issues there. Are, you know, debt versus equity. Um, and for non-U.S. investors, you know, could could you have a a lending business uh, here in the U.S.? But I, I think the focus today is more on the on the former uh, scenario. That's that, that is correct, and you must have taken a look at my agenda because you pretty much <laughs> took all the items we were going to talk about outside. We are not going to get into the lending business aspects today. But uh, since you since you hit there, I, I was thinking that let's let's talk sort of about the life cycle, Pete. The life cycle of acquiring the secondary market, and and sort of what are the issues regarding acquiring, and then while you're holding, and then disposing. Right. Before that, we get into some of the workout issues. Exactly. Yeah, you hit it right there. You know, when when you buy 
buy a loan, you know, uh, at a at discount from par. Uh, there's some issues we should talk about and holding it as well. Um, and certainly the issues uh, that come up are, you know, timing and, and character and uh, perhaps starting with, uh, you know, the purchase, um, you know, when you, when you buy a loan um, at a discount from par, um, you can have a scenario where uh, what you think might be a long-term capital gain uh, can be converted into to interest income uh, taxable at ordinary uh, income rates uh, on account of uh, uh, these so-called market discount rules, uh, which can catch some some off guard. So that's something to consider. Well, that's um, that, just just cutting you off for a second, Scott. How many conversations do you have about uh, uh, regarding that every day? Quite a few, quite a few. Definitely, everybody yeah. um, you know thinks that um, you know they should get capital gains on on, on the sale of that that that. Um, instrument um, after it appreciated some because the company was doing a little bit better, um, and, and lo and behold, um, you got to you got to reclass some of that income on their K one and, and then explain to them what the market discount rules are. So it's definitely a good thing to talk about here. Yeah, there's there's hurdles there. So you know, Pete, yeah. uh, why don't you why don't you just talk about that for a second? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the way these rules work is you know when when um, if you buy a loan uh, at a discount from par or face, uh, you have so called uh, this market discount, uh, and that amount um, kind of accrues uh, in the background. It's not like OID in the sense you, you're not you don't have to pick it up currently, um, but it does accrue, and um, it, it's triggered uh, when you have a principal payment or um, when when uh, you, you sell the loan later uh, at maturity. You can certainly uh, get some really weird results here with highly uh, distressed debt. And you know, happy to give you a simple example that kind of really highlights the point. Um, you know, let's say you have a a loan that was originally issued and had a three million dollar uh, uh, principal amount, and um, let's say investment fund acquires it for two million. So you know, you've got a million of market discount, and uh, let's say the loan has two more years to go uh, to maturity. So you'd have uh, half a million of market discount that would accrue uh, each of those years. And so, if, you know, if the fund sold the loan at the end of year one for two and a half million, you'd have quite literally 500,000 of gain that would be characterized as ordinary interest income under the, the market discount rules. And, uh, you know, client or fund might say, hey, wait a second, <laughs> that feels like economic gain doesn't feel like interest income. And, and, you know, another example might be if there's a, a partial principal payment made of a half a million at the end of year one, you'd have the same, same result. So uh, again, some counterintuitive, maybe uh, results that might surprise folks. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that there's people who buy stuff in the secondary market and a lot of you all are familiar with some of these things, but at the same time, there can be some frustration. The, the, the rules were written at a time that maybe there wasn't as much distress going on. So it's a little bit different. And so, so Pete, just, yeah, there's three different types of accruals that I look at. You sort of have mm -hmm. your stated interest, you have OID and you have accrued market discount. Right. These are, these are things. So I, I think it's when we talk about uh, stoppage of accrual mm -hmm. and we're not going to get into um, all the different nuances here, but, what we are going to say is, is that there is the ability to stop the accrual of, of stated interest, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Yeah, with market discount, unfortunately, you know, the rules are quite murky. There's, there's 
no uh, specific exemption uh, for stop stopping the accrual of market discount. Uh, the one scenario where we, you know, many get comfortable is where uh, the loan is in default, let's say with an acceleration clause or past the maturity date at the time of purchase there, you know, the loan looks kind of like a demand note. Um, and maybe, you know, you, you don't need to accrue market discount, but because quite literally, there's no period over which to, to accrue it. Uh, but we, you know, with stated interest, uh, you know, yes, there, there's some uh, law here that is quite favorable, the so-called doubtful uh, collectability doctrine, uh, which can stop interest uh, accruals uh, where, where uh, it applies. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the case law basically says, hey, if, if the interest here is of doubtful collectability and not reasonably certain to be collected, then you can stop uh, the interest accruals under the uh, accrual method of accounting. And, and, and the idea here is, you know, uh, you shouldn't have to pick up interest income that you'll never, you know, realize or receive, you know, it just wouldn't, wouldn't be fair. And what do people do on, on OID side? Yeah, it's a good, great point. You know, on the OID side, um, there is some IRS guidance out there that seems to suggest that uh, this doubtful collectability doctrine uh, doesn't apply in the OID context, but I think many think that that uh, uh, guidance is just just flat out wrong and uh, don't follow it. Um, and you know, it's worth mentioning that the bar here is pretty high for the doubtful collectability uh, doctrine to apply. The case law uh, says you know there should be some type of identifiable you know event. You know, um, maybe an insolvency, bankruptcy would certainly be good. Um, and it, it's it's not enough that you know your bar the borrower is just going through some temporary financial difficulty or um, you know just postponed a, a, an interest payment or two you know there has to be pretty pretty good uh, high high event here and another interesting issue that comes up let's say you've stopped uh, accruing interest and then lo and behold uh, you know you you do get an interest payment later on to, to your surprise and um, there's some concern that you might have to. Uh, uh, apply a portion of that payment that you might think is principal uh, to interest. There, there is a, a payment ordering rule in the regs, and quite literally applied would suggest that you have to report some some interest income here in that scenario. So, another uh, surprise to to many investment funds and clients. Yeah. So, what what we're just trying to lay out here is that there's a lot of different facts that have to be taken into consideration to to stop the accruals or, or stop the, the recognition of, of ordinary income versus uh, capital gain and the like. So we're just knowing that to all the listeners here is that those, there's a lot that goes on there. There are definitely positions that people take. And so that's what we just want to make sure you're, you're aware of those, those, those items. Now let's get into workouts. So there's a lot going on here in workouts hmm. and I'm, I'm going to actually change something here. I'm actually going to pick on Scott for a second. So I've already picked on you once, but Scott, when you start, start thinking about workouts, you, you have some sort of modification going on, right? Right. But, for sure. but, but then you have a different, what, what's like the thought process you have? Okay. It's a modification, but then what are your other thought processes? Well, you know, how, how much, you know, is, is it going to be um, an, an immediately taxable event, um, you know, and, and how, how much of a modification was there? Um, those those rules are, are you know pretty specific, and, and those you know like the market discount rules and others kind of kind of 
you know, definitely can can surprise folks, you know, especially if, um, you know, they bought um, distressed debt at a, at a pretty low uh, amount that um, has a pretty high face and, and they, they, they do a workout or, uh, you know, they, they issue new debt for that same face. Um, they're going to get really um, surprised, you know, that 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 new face is is that ta- that's that transaction is treated as a taxable transaction, and 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 the amount realized is that new is that new face amount. So definitely catches folks off guard. That that's probably I, I don't know Pete how you feel, but but that seems to be like the the, the one that really catches people by surprise. A- absolutely, Scott's right. I mean, uh, yeah, the idea here is if you're modifying you know your existing old debt uh in a way you're changing the the material economic terms uh, it's as if you've swapped that old loan for a new loan in a taxable tr- transaction and scott alluded to there's some some detailed regulations that uh, apply here for so-called significant uh, modifications and um and uh, yes the the amount realized on that taxable exchange can catch folks off guard. Um, and, uh, you know, what those rules say is that the amount realized is, is equal to the issue price uh, of, of the new modified debt. So it's as if you're selling the old loan for an amount equal to the issue price of the new debt. And uh, the way the issue price rules work, if you have publicly traded debt, um, you know, the issue price uh, is, is the fair market value. And um, the, here, you know, there's some pretty broad rules as to what's publicly traded. You know, in some cases, um, if you have an indicative quote on Bloomberg, that might be enough, uh, um, um, especially if, if the debt here is over $100 million. But as Scott was suggesting, in many cases, the, the debt is not publicly traded, and, and there your amount realized uh, will be your face or stated uh, principal amount, and that's where surprises happen, um, uh, where you could – trigger tax gain and not have any economic gain and clients will say, Hey, you're, you're crazy. That doesn't make sense. And just the way the, the rules work here. We understand that. But, but there's also though, it, it's situations where something can be considered recapitalization. Right. Right. Yeah, the, first thing, the first thing when, when you, when you realize you may have had that significant modification is, is, is it possible to um, treat that original instrument as, as a, a security? So it might, might um, fall under those rules as opposed to the, the significant modification rules. Right. That, that's right. Especially, and there you need to have a, a you know corporate uh, borrower or a corporate issuer, and the old loan has to be a security. The new one has to be a security uh, as well. And you know, in some cases, that saves saves the day. Um, but uh, and uh, you know, for, to have a security, we we generally will look to the term uh, of the loan and want to see something more than five years. But for highly distressed debt. Um, Maybe there's some scenarios where we can get comfortable. Even uh, debt with a shorter term uh, might qualify. Yeah. So there's a things. So when you have a modification, that number one, that doesn't mean there's automatically a trigger. It has to be a significant modification. And even if it's a significant modification, which could create a, a unfavorable result, you do have the recapitalization rules that might be able to allow you to avoid some of the, the negative consequences. Now, the last thing I, I wanted to hit on here was on, okay, you're holding a debt instrument, you're doing a workout, and you're taking over an asset of some sort. And I sort of looked at this as being three assets, uh, corporate stock, pass-through entities, real estate. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Pete, for the time being. Uh-huh. On the corporate stock side, 
what is a what is a fund yeah. you really have to be concerned about? Not much. I mean, if you're holding stock, I mean, I think where you're headed is you know there could be some issues for uh, tax sensitive investors. You know, That's non-U.S. Right. investors they need to worry about U.S. trade or business issues, ECI or um, or FDAP uh, withholding on maybe dividends on, on the stock, and certainly U.S. tax exempts have to worry about UBTI and stock is pretty simple i would think and you got to worry about FERPTA possibly if it's a u.s real property holding company i think the thornier issues are the other two scenarios that you just talked about where maybe you don't hold you may hold equity in a partnership that um, is engaged in a trader business or certainly if you hold the underlying collateral real estate you're going to have u.s trader business uh, issues and uh, ubti in, in those scenarios yeah so scott i mean Oh, go ahead. You're going to say yeah, something. Yeah, no, the, the thing that always comes to, to mind here is, is um, you know, one of the things to to work out, obviously, if you're, if you're going to need to put the the, the instrument in, into an entity that's going to block some of those negative tax consequences, so uh, put it in a blocker. Um, one of the things that that that, um, that really needs to be done to uh, to make sure everything is, is copacetic is to, to get a valuation of that, because a lot of times they just kind of put it in there to uh, – um, to get it out of the out of the way and then don't think much of it because it's still kind of within, um, you know, perhaps a control group, so to speak. But, you know, you really need to have a good valuation done on that distressed debt or the tr- distressed property as it comes in. Um, so, you know, what uh, um, how, how to treat that going forward, because I've seen some weird consequences where people haven't necessarily valued it correctly and um, had some weird tax results down the road as they do work that out inside a corporate vehicle. That's a great point. Well, look. I thank you both for your time. This has been great. And I just wanted to say thank you to all, all you people who are joining us. Uh, this series has really been going really well, and we hope you found this very interesting. And we look forward to you joining us again on another Talking Asset Management with KPMG. Take care, all. Thanks for listening to Talking Asset Management with KPMG. Be sure to subscribe to this series and visit read.kpmg.us forward slash talking dash asset dash management for more information.